Welcome to the Breathing God podcast. I'm your host, Gretchen Rodriguez. Hi, everybody. I have such a special guest for you today. My friend, the man who opened the door for this whole writing journey that I've been on, um, the lead translator of the Passion Translation Bible. I am so, so excited to bring to you Dr. Brian Simmons. And uh, yeah, I'm going to bring him in right now. If I could remember, there we go. There we Hi, go. Hi, Gretchen. Brian, welcome. It's so good to have oh, you. Oh. I'm so excited. What a treat to be with you and listeners. Yeah, you know, we met, I don't know if you remember this, it's been, it's been a long time. I don't know how many years you might know, but we met because I became one of your beta readers for the Song of Songs in the Passion Translation. How many years ago was wow, that? Wow. <laughs> well, that had to have been uh, 12 years ago. Uh, around 12 years ago when I did the first book of the series in the Passion Translation, I did Song of Songs. And wow, I didn't realize that, that you were one of the uh, early, early readers of that. Early readers. And, you know, it came to me, we were on the mission field and I was having a time. I, I was weary and dry. And when I started reading the passion translation of the Song of Songs, it rocked my world. It it so helped to take me to this next level of intimacy with the Lord and changed my life, changed my life. So I thought, what a better thing to talk about today than my favorite book in the Bible, the Song of Songs, from someone who pours out with such revelation. Um, so I'm just going to ask Brian to share. I'll come in and we'll chat a little bit, but he's just going to share from his heart and and draw you into the presence of Jesus. So Brian, over to you. Thank you, Gretchen. And, and like you, I am in love with the Song of Songs. It it stirred me. It, it ignited something in me. It, it brought music to my soul. It made me dance again. There's something about these lyrics of love in the eight chapters of the masterpiece of Solomon that it, it stirred me. And I've never gotten over that. Um, I began my journey into the Song of Songs years ago with uh, Hudson Taylor uh, as he wrote a book called Union and Communion. And I, when I say years ago, I'm talking about over 45 years ago, I read that book. And then I was led to study uh, with Song of Solomon, Song of Songs with um, Watchman Nee. And those two authors really began to stir me to dig deep into that book. So I ended up, you know, fast forward to today, I've read well over 90 commentaries of the Song of Songs. I have a pretty extensive library uh, of commentaries on that book. But I felt like the Lord was leading me to write uh, our own commentary, which we did. We called it The Journey of the Bride, The Sacred Journey. And uh, it has really touched lots of people. But 
To translate the Song of Songs was one of the most beautiful uh, privileges I've ever had in my life. To take sacred scripture and to bring it into a dynamic, readable, uh, digestible uh, version that would touch not just the intellect, but would cause the heart of the reader to explode with love and glory. So the thing that I want to just say, if I could, about the Song of Songs, uh, maybe three things I'd like to highlight. One is its place in church history. That the Song of Songs throughout the ages, from we're talking about the early church. Let's talk about the first, second century of the church itself. We're talking about the, the era of John and Polycarp and uh, Arrhenius and others past them. They all were in love with this book. Before the completed New Testament was given, before the canon of Scripture was completed, the one book the early church taught, loved, celebrated, and rejoiced in was the Song of Songs. You know, one church might have a, a few letters of Paul, and they may have one or two of the Gospels, but they didn't have a completed canon of Scripture, what we have now. But the one book they all had was the Song of Songs. So throughout the history of the church, it has been viewed as the heartbeat of God. I believe Pauline theology is the arteries that come out of the heart of God. Uh, the, the history, the narrative of Israel in the Old Testament, and then Pauline theology in the New, they all combine to become the, you know, they become the uh, cardiovascular system of the body of Christ. But the heart, the heartbeat of God, is a passionate love that will never diminish over time. It stepped out of eternity, has nothing to do with human behavior. He loved us before we were born, and he'll love us long after we pass into eternity with the same intense, fiery passion that only the emotions of God could express. So to, to really rejoice in the message of the Song of Songs is tying us back to our history, tying us back to the early church. And uh, the second thing I'd want to say about the Song of Songs is that it is not uh, a book of erotica, that it is not meant to be, uh, as it's so interpreted today by contemporary scholars. Uh, I'm definitely a minority. You could read 20 commentaries that have been put out in the last 10 or 20 years, and you won't find one that will say it is sacred romance between Christ and the bride. Contemporary scholarship has gone over the cliff as it relates to erotica and the sexualization of the church and trying to legitimize, and we understand, I, I get it, I understand the, the desire of contemporary scholars, commentators to legitimize marital love, sexuality, and uh, because it's a common topic in, in our world today. But nowhere in church history. And as far as my research has uh, paid off, it was really in the mid to late 1800s when one person decided to go that direction and say, you know, this, this really could be a book about marital love. And then in the 1930s, in the, uh, you know, the cultural revolution that really hit the world, the enlightenment, so to speak, then commentators began to venture into that. But it was the 60s. It was the sexual revolution of the 60s that really uh, embedded that theological bent into interpreting the Song of Songs. 
And I think that's sad because it's ignoring our history. It's ignoring uh, a, a reality that that God wants to put inside of our heart. You know, to think of God as romantic, <laughs> a lot of scholars will cringe at that. What? Wait, wait. God is is truth. He's he's you know he's got all these doctrines that he wants us to comprehend. Well, you know, God is a person. God is spirit. And he wants us to come to him in the spiritual reality, to love him, as Jesus said, with all our heart, mind, strength, and power. So the greatest commandment is not study the Bible. The greatest commandment is not learn the doctrines of Paul. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. So it's very obvious to me in reading the Song of Songs that it is sacred. It's not a little bit uh, legitimizing one of Solomon's adulterous affairs. And if you make this a book of erotica, you are literally saying the greatest song of all, the greatest song of the wisest person ever to walk the earth, his greatest masterpiece was bedroom pillow talk. And I just don't think that God wants that uh, to be the significant interpretive model of what he calls the song of the ages, the greatest song ever composed. So it, it is a song of sacred, divine, holy romance. And the third thing I'd like to say about the Song of Songs is the importance of knowing the storyline, of that it's, it's a consecutive story. It's, each chapter builds on the previous. It's not a compilation. Um, some of the uh, ancient commentaries called it canticles because they viewed it as just a compilation of love songs. When in fact, it is uh, a divine roadmap into the heart of God. It is a story. And when you tap into the storyline and you understand who is speaking in the Song of Songs, then it, it unveils the heart of Jesus like never before. It touches us. You know, we would say Jesus is without flaw, right? But Jesus says to us, you are flawless, my love, my bride. I see you flawless in my eyes. I mean, just, just that is, goes counter against guilt-driven theology and a works-based religious structure. That all we do is let him, the first two words of the book is let him, let him kiss me. The first four words, let him kiss me. I mean, what a book, what a way to start a book. <laughs> What a brilliant way to hook the heart of women and men in the kingdom of God to start with a cry for a kiss. So this story is basically, uh, and I'll condense this, but it's a story of how Jesus wins and, and conquers the heart of those who follow him. And we must go from being servants of God into our being friends of God. And from friends of God, into becoming sons and daughters of God. We're not just friends, we're family. And what we must go from sons and daughters into the highest level of intimacy known to man, and that is union. That's marriage, marital union, where two become one. We bond in our soul, in our spirit with him. So that story of how he wins us by affirmation, not angry exhortations, not telling us what we're not, not rebuking us like some sermons are rebukeathons, you know, and, and instead he, he puts a crown on our head and he watches and waits for us to grow up to fit it.
but he tells us in the front end how much he loves us, desires us, will, will uh, use us for his glory with no aftertaste, no guilt, no like how you shameful thing. He doesn't remind us of our past because we don't have one. Our past ended with three nails 2,000 years ago. We only have a destiny. So this destiny compels him to speak things that are not as though they are. And he says over us these terms of endearment, these affirmations of how lovely. Eight times he says we're beautiful, and he never exaggerates. And three of the eight, it is, oh, how beautiful. Haya uh, yapim. Uh, I mean, he, he, it, it's an intensified, you are beauty itself to me. So seeing the story, not of Solomon, let him disappear and let one greater than Solomon take his place. Not the Shulamite, let her disappear and you take her place, male or female. Because Shulamite and Solomon comes from the same Hebrew root word, one masculine, one feminine. So we are one with Jesus Christ. And this divine union is the ultimate goal, not only of the Song of Songs, but of the God of the ages. The ultimate goal is two shall become one. We will be uh, eternally wedded, joined un in union for eternity with the Holy Son of God. Fascinating mystery, isn't it? And this is why Paul says in Ephesians 5 that marriage itself is a mystery of Christ and his bride. So there's the divine union waiting for us. It's the, the level above, uh, it's the level above identity, sonship, which has been in the focus for the last 20 years. Wonderfully so. But the next step God wants to take us into is not just identity, because that's still about us. He wants to take us into union where it becomes all about him. So those, so those, those three, three uh, uh, you, know, you know, those are the beginning, beginning points, points, I would like I would to say like about to the Song of Songs. Wow. Wow. Whew, I can feel the presence of Jesus just as you're speaking. And, you know, I'm thinking about what you said about union. And it puts, it, it brings my attention forward. You know, you talked about how we are brought back to what the early church knew was such a vital part, this beautiful relationship with Jesus. But I'm thinking now about fast forwarding. You know, I'm thinking the book of Revelation and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm thinking about how this is what he's called us to, as you said, this union, this marriage supper. I've got goosebumps when I think about it. And so could you, would you be able to just speak into that for a minute? I would love to hear what yeah, you yeah. have to say, um, how, where that connection meets. Yeah, let's yeah, take let's the take Bible, Bible itself, itself uh, 30,000 uh, 30, feet view of the Bible. Uh, it begins with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. It begins and ends with man and woman being joined together. And it, and it ends with the son of man and the radiant bride becoming one in the mountains of spice, to use the terminology of Song of Songs. But it is the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is not a place. It's not something uh, floating in the sky that we're going to ultimately be in the new Jerusalem. No, we are already there. Hebrews 12 says we're already in the new Jerusalem reality. 
and it is a bride coming down out of heaven. Twice, it's very clear in Revelation 21 and 22 that the New Jerusalem is the bride. It is a motif, it's a picture of the bride of Christ. Just like Abraham looked for a city and he looked for a bride for his son, Isaac. So we have become that city set on a hill. That was the first teaching Jesus gave, is you are a city. And then he leads us on into the deeper revelation, you are my bride. So the, this bridal city coming out of heaven is a, a picture, it's a metaphor, it's not a literal. Honestly, there is not up above the clouds a four square city. That's, that's, a, that's a denial of the allegorical truth of the scriptures, that there, we are that city. We are the bride of Christ that is a city set on a hill that, that will be a, a realm of union forever as a husband and a bride uh, become one in, in, in every way. So we will become one with Jesus Christ. And that union is pictured throughout the scriptures. You know, we have, uh, you have uh, Rebecca, you have Rachel, you have uh, the uh, Sarah as the bride of Abraham. And, and you've got um, so many pictures of this bride. You have uh, Abigail and you've got Ruth and the beautiful allegory. Uh, it's literal, but it's also an allegory. And Ruth becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus, even though she was a Moabite, giving us a hint that Gentiles will be a part of life union with Christ. So just taking that thread throughout the Bible, the New Testament begins uh, John chapter 2 at a wedding feast. There is a, uh, a feast, but they ran out of wine and they had no joy at the wedding. And you don't have joy in this earth like you do in our union with Christ. So Jesus turned the water into wine. It was the first miracle that exposed his glory. And it's the glory of union with the people that the wedding feast itself is not in heaven. The wedding feast has begun already at Cana. That wedding feast has already started. So the parables, uh, the last teachings of Jesus were parables about a wedding. But I, I don't believe the wedding is in heaven. I think the wedding feast has begun right now, that we step into that union. We don't have to wait a thousand years for it to happen. We are the new Jerusalem. We are the Zion company. We are the bride of Christ, and we have blessed union with our Lord Jesus. So from beginning to end, you see a picture of a God of romance. If you take love and romance out of the Bible, you have nothing but sterile doctrines that will bring death. The law kills, but the spirit brings life. And to, to remove this emotive God of sacred desire. You know, it says his name is Jealous in the book of Exodus. It says, my name is Jealous. We think of him as Yahweh, as Jesus. But he says, my name is Jealous. Well, another way to translate that is passionate. My name is passionate. And everything about God reveals this God of burning passion to remove whatever gets in the way of love between us and his bride. He, he's passionate, he's jealous for us.
He burns with jealous. His eyes are like flames of fire, Revelation 1. And that's not anger. It's passion for his bride. It's the fire of jealous love for us. Not anger, but jealous, passionate love. So I, I just see, I, just see, I, see, this, I see theme this theme throughout the Bible, Bible Gretchen, and I, I wish... I wish uh, I, wish I wish we could we all have, have a, a an eye transplant, transplant a, corneal a corneal transplant on our eyes to have a lens of love put over our eyes instead of a lens of you're not good enough, someday I'll like you, try harder, do more for me. But instead, this love theology that must grip us and it will set the bride free. It sets us free. And, you know, I think about, you know, we've written six devotionals together. And the reason that devotionals are so powerful when they're written with Jesus is because it does that. It helps us to refocus. It helps us to walk in this union. It brings us back to this first love, this passionate intimacy where Jesus is reaching through the words, through the chaos, you know, reaching to draw us into himself. And it is only his presence. It is only the spirit and the word working together that draws us into this place of longing and love that really does change everything about the way we think, everything about the way we live, the way that we interact with people. And I'm thinking even now, you know, about everything that's happening in our world, all of the mess. But in the midst of all of that mess, when we walk in that first love union wow, wow. with God, you can see all of that mess, but it doesn't get into your heart because your heart is so filled with love. And when you're filled with love, perfect love casts out fear. So we can walk in that place where we are so aware of that union you're speaking about. And I'm thinking about one of my favorite stories, um, not stories, one of my favorite parts of Song of Songs is where the bride comes out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. And I think about how Jesus takes these times that we go through these wilderness seasons where we feel dry and we feel weary and we feel overwhelmed, but we just keep pressing into him. We just keep leaning back into his love. We keep surrendering day after day, the questions, the wondering, where are you, God, when we feel dry? And when we keep doing that, Jesus sees it. He sees what's in our heart. And we can come out of that place of wilderness so much stronger because his love strengthens us. When when he's all we have, it's more than enough, right? He's everything. Wow. And so can you can you just talk for just a minute about that particular part of Song of Songs, if you don't mind, just because it's my favorite, favorite part because I've seen it in my life and so many others, to where it is that place of difficulty that actually causes us to rise up in a strength that we don't have on our own. Yeah, first yeah, of all, first we all, all have, have a wilderness, wilderness that we walk, that we walk through. through. Every, Every one, one of us. us. And, and, you know, don't, don't let, let mythical, mythical Christianity, Christianity tell you different. different. We, all we all walk through, walk through 
a wilderness, sometimes many wildernesses in our journey towards Christ. But the thing, you know, we have leaned on our past. We've leaned on our family and our upbringing. We've leaned on our own strength. We've leaned on other strong Christians thinking we could somehow borrow their relationship with God. We've leaned on uh, our favorite worship uh, album, our favorite song that we'll play until we get tired of it. We'll lean on a certain Bible verse that we'll put all over our, our, but it's leaning on the person of Jesus that brings us out of that wilderness. And it's not simply leaning on him, it's leaning into him, to lean into his heart for us, his affection for us. He loved us when we stumbled in the wilderness as much as he does when we find our way out of it. His love carried us through and we lean on that endless, relentless love. And one thing I'd like to just add about all of this is to, to make a contrast between uh, church theology, and I don't mean this to be uh, derogatory, I'm just making a point, but the church basically, we will teach that, you know, we exhort. Uh, many of our sermons are are not really life-giving as much as they are exhortations. We're trying to stir people up to obedience, to prayer, to seeing their identity in Christ. To, to, and this stirring of the heart is what most modern preaching uh, rests upon. But you don't really see that in the Song of Songs. In the perfect model example of how to win a bride, how to bring a person into divine union and perfection, you don't see that as the philosophy of Jesus. Let's take a second and look at how he did it. The very beginning, she says, I'm dark and unworthy. And he whispers in her ear, no, you are flawless. You are lovely. You're like the linen curtains that hang in the sacred chamber, the Holy of Holies. I see you differently than the way you see yourself. So the very beginning verses of Song of Songs compels us into the model of Jesus, how he affirms a bride into perfection. We want to rebuke a bride into perfection. We want to teach as though, you know, just information. This Western culture of ours, we think if we can just teach enough information to a person, they'll become mature. But it, it, Jesus doesn't give her sermons. And she didn't ask for a sermon. She asked for a kiss. She didn't ask for a miracle. She asked for a kiss. And, and this storyline itself compels us to embrace a different model of maturing the church, of discipling people into the image of Jesus. And that model, in, in just a few words, is to love the daylights into you, to, to love you in your worst moment. You already know your failures. What you don't know is your beauty in the eyes of God, his eyes, and how Jesus himself sees you in your weakest, frail, most frail moment of your life. That's when he draw, draws near to you, like a river always going to the lowest place. So the love of God will always seek out that, that lowest spot in our heart, the hiding place, the place where... Uh, you know, the dark room where we develop our negatives, so to speak. And he'll, the river of his love will flood us there and lift us closer to his heart. So the, the example of the Song of Songs 
transcends the story itself. And the storyline is so awesome. But when you see the Jesus himself not rebuking once the bride in the Song of Songs, he stirs her. He, he challenges her to come, you know, arise, my love, and come. But even when he says that, he knows she's not going to come. And yet he repeats it. And he tells her how much he loves her, knowing she's not going to get up and go with him to the mountains. Not until chapter four. But in chapter two, he comes to challenge. But even the challenge itself is, is a love sandwich. If there is any rebuke in the Song of Songs, it, it, it's a velvet brick. I'm telling you, it's a velvet brick. It, it's, <laughs> it, it's not a two by four between the eyes like we so commonly want to do to people. But it is the love theology that pulls the heart out of darkness, addiction, uh, wickedness, perversion, uh, out of a wrong identity, out of a sense of worthlessness. It's the love of God, not the perfect sermon, but it's perfect love that casts out fear. Wow, wow. You know, I'm feeling, um, I'm, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm having images uh, from Holy Spirit of people listening, and I could just see them, and I see their tears are just streaming down their face because they aren't feeling beautiful. They are feeling heavy. They are feeling distracted um, by themselves by the dark but lovely. You know, they're, they're so focused on the dark part and they're wondering if this awareness of their darkness can hinder them from coming into a place of intimacy. And we know that that's not true. And then I also see the other person crying and weeping as they're just overwhelmed, just sitting with Jesus right now. Sitting with him and, and just allowing his love to wash over them. And so we have these two, two different people that Holy Spirit is showing me, two different postures of the heart. I think really it is the same posture of heart because every heart is still longing, you know. One heart is just in a place of peace and one heart is in a place of wanting to meet with the Prince of Peace. And so I'm going to ask you to just pray for the listeners and those watching. Um, and but before I do, because I want to finish with the prayer, I just want everyone to know that they could find you. Correct me if I'm wrong. The website is Passion and Fire Ministries or PassionandFire.com. PassionandFire.com. Yeah, PassionandFire.com. I know people will be so blessed. And obviously you could find Brian's translation of Song of Songs there. You could find it pretty much everywhere, Amazon and everywhere. But um, yeah, it, I believe it's going to change people's lives like it did for me. So, Ryan, thank you. Can you close yeah, us in prayer? Yeah, yeah. And, and if I could recommend, uh, we have an audible version on Amazon. It's, uh, you can find the audible version to where you're hearing it and reading it. And, it, and it, it, you know, it's kind of saturating you. And, uh, and uh, you, that, that's, that's something, something that we need, that we need to, soak to soak in, in isn't, it? isn't it? 
So I thank agree. you, Brian. I agree. Yeah. And, and I just have to say that I agree with Brian because if it's the same woman who reads our devotionals, she has the most beautiful voice, the most beautiful accent. And I listen to her and I think, that's so beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree about the audible parts for sure. But yeah, Brian, oh, yeah, yeah. close us in prayer. I would so appreciate that. Sure. Sure. Father, Father thank you thank so you much so for giving us a Savior. Like Jesus, like Jesus, the lover of our soul, that was that loved was with skin, skin on, that funneled, funneled himself, himself into human form, human form to express that love, that love to the end. He loved his disciples even to the end. John 13, 1. Thank you, God. The end of our days, the end of our need, you love us to the end. Lord, I ask that this omnipotent love Will, like, a like a tractor beam, beam will capture our heart, heart and draw us closer, closer to the cloud-filled cloud chamber of your love and delight. I ask I God ask for God that, that weeping friend, friend today, today that, that is, 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 is sensing, sensing the Holy Spirit, Spirit bringing, bringing her or him, him into that, that chamber room of delight. delight. I pray, I God, pray that God, that you, you will break us break open beyond repair. Leave us, Leave in, us that in that sweetly, sweetly broken, broken place, place where we where never we try to build our lives on any foundation, foundation other than let him let kiss me. me. Lord, I Lord, pray I for the one that is so saturated with you right, right now. now. Uh, Lord, Lord, I pray I that pray you'll take them take even them deeper, deeper into the love of God, into the love theology. Help them to see the love of Christ where others only see an angry, hard to please Father. I ask God I ask that you'll put that, that lens of love over us, us remove the cataract of guilt, guilt, the veil, veil of shame, shame. Every, every distance, distance that we sense that is between us and God, God shrink it, Lord, Lord, right now. Bring us, bring us into face-to-face -face encounters, encounters, throne room throne visitation, into that, into that sacred, sacred divine, divine place, place where two become two one, one, where we sit under the apple tree of the light and feast upon you the pleasant fruit of union with Jesus. And I pray that you'll capture us, Lord, theologically, capture us with the love of God. Lord, I ask that you'll seal these things to our heart with the burning fire, the burning fire that is never extinguished. Rivers of misunderstanding will never put out that flame. Seal us this day in that fiery seal of love. We ask it in Jesus' name alone. Amen. 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 This is Gretchen Rodriguez. Thank you for joining me on the Breathing God podcast. If you think this will be a blessing to someone, please share it. And if it stirred your heart or even raised questions, I'd love to hear from you. Please leave a comment. If you'd like to sign up for my bi-weekly encouraging emails, enjoy a free lesson from my devotional writing e-course, or discover some other goodies, go to GretchenRodriguez.com. Mm -hmm.